My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, I am very excited to be joined by Corey Hintzbone. Did I say that correctly? You did. I wanted to make sure I did. (laughs) Corey, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Corey is a mental health professional here in the Kansas City area. It's wonderful to have you join me because you are an anxiety expert. Yes, I mean, that's probably a way dumbed down version, but, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm just a mom, so I don't know a whole lot about all this stuff. But why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, what your qualifications are, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor uh, in the state of Kansas, and I've been counseling since 1999, and uh, I really felt led around um 2014 to to start specializing in anxiety. So I went to different um, trainings with acceptance commitment therapy. That was a treatment modality I felt like I really needed to be an expert in throughout the nation to learn how to do it. And I went to a hospital um, that had a day hospital program and an IOP program in Chicago. I got to go there for a week and sit in under their psychiatrist and their psychologist and in their groups to learn how to really effectively help people who have anxiety and anxiety related disorders. That's incredible because my understanding, and again, this is just Google and me, but depending on what you read, anywhere between 50 and 80% of people between the ages of 10 and 30 have anxiety. Yeah. And that stat, I haven't looked at it recently. When I started the program in 2017, anxiety was the number one mental illness in the U.S., um, and it was about 18% of all people in the U.S. Um, had a clinical diagnosis of an anxiety-related dis- uh, disorder. So it could be anxiety, social anxiety, panic um, panic disorder, or um, OCD. And at that time, PTSD was under that umbrella. That's now a separate okay. Uh, diagnosis. Okay. And then with COVID, um, anxiety has drastically increased, and especially with adolescents. And why is that? I think there was so much more isolation for years. Um, I'm amazed how many people come in our door. uh, I specialize in an adult anxiety program who have health anxiety now that we never saw before COVID, who are very afraid of getting sick or Mm. vomiting or, um, you know, some kind of sick sickness that was not near the issue as it is now. So I think COVID really helped with that. Um, sure. The news is excellent of giving you worst case scenario and scaring you, especially, you know, that was a great new talk to uh, with uh, the pandemic. Oh, yeah. So I think that definitely rose anxiety. Um, kids started, you know, they had to be home. So no longer were they with friends or, or going through different things that a lot of times parents were working full time trying to survive. And um, so babysitters for some kids were TV or tablets. Um, and those are, 
I understand I use that from time to time. I have four kids at home, um, but it can also prevent a person from being creative and using their brain and um, having coping mechanisms because it can be an avoidance tactic to avoid difficult emotions. Sure. Well, I, I think most of us assume that the pandemic contributed to anxiety. Yes. And that makes sense to me because we were not made to be in isolation. We were made to be in community. Absolutely. My next question is, what do we do about that as, mm. as parents, as friends, as loved ones? How do we kind of work on this massive anxiety crisis, per se? Hmm. Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I think it always starts with ourselves to know how are you doing with your anxiety and your stress load and how are you able to manage um, what's on your plate. A lot of people, especially the U.S., does a great job um, having someone feel like they're not worthy unless they're mm. working full time or they're not worthy unless they're doing this or doing this and getting acc acclimates, you know, being the super mom at school or in the classrooms or whatever. Um, so the balance of being and doing, I think, mm. is really key is starting with us as as parents of we need to be able to, yes, serve, serve in our giftedness and our passions, what we're called to do, but also be able to, to be still and to uh, there's a quote, beware of the barrenness of a busy soul. And um, I think of that often where I think a lot of us are so busy that we don't um, pause to recognize what's going on in your soul. How am I feeling? What am I thinking? But if we could do that first and, and know how to do that ourselves, then we could then help our kids, whatever stage they're in, to be able to do that. Emotions like happiness, you don't have to teach a kid to have or a baby. Like you could, see, you could make them laugh. You can make them giggle. It's so fun when you have a young child. Mm -hmm. But as they get older, there's other emotions that have to be taught. It's modeled to them. So sadness, anger, hurt, fear, a lot of it we can help our kids learn how to work through and have those emotions um, through modeling and talking through them versus them guessing and trying to figure it out on their own. You really hit something right there. And it's one of those things that I know, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I wish I had heard all the things that I've heard so far <laughs> 25 years ago before <laughs> I had a child, because I would have parented differently. And I think a lot of parents in my generation and particularly mm. the generation ahead of me, we did not talk about those things as we were being raised, like emotions and feelings. It was yes. the suck it up. You've got this. Don't let them see you cry. Mm. All of that, that that's what we were told as children. So in a way, we did that to our kids as well. I hope and think that there are young parents listening to the Just a Mom podcast. And that's one of the things that I really want them to hear is mm. what you just said. We have to teach our young children so that they can grow up to be adolescents and young adults and adults who know how to feel what the emotions are and how to deal with them. Yes. Versus avoiding. Versus you avoiding. Know, avoiding by staying busy, going to the next thing, watching shows, being on your tablet, going to the next basketball game, you know, just, just going on, running on empty eventually. And kids see that in us, and mm -hmm. then they see that, oh, I'm not allowed to say, I'm not feeling great. 
And I, I think it's even more than not feeling allowed. They're not even able to identify. Mm. Um, it's more their behaviors are, act, you know, they're acting out in different behaviors or avoiding different things, but they're not even able to put to words what they're thinking or feeling. So in other words, if you've got a eight-year-old who's having some kind of a meltdown, you should, instead of saying, you know, come on, stop that. You're too old to do that, mm-hmm. which is probably what I said multiple times. <laughs> My kids would be like, yeah, she did. We should stop and say, let's talk about how what's going on here. Yeah, to be able to pause. Mm-hmm. I love there's a two-and-a-half-minute video called uh, by Brene Brown on YouTube, Empathy versus Sympathy. And it does a great job helping um, just to recognize how empathy is going and, and being with that person um, in the rain, like they're in the rain, offering an umbrella and being, gosh, I'm so sorry you're suffering. I'm so sorry you're hurting and you're feeling this way. That is so much more powerful to help a person work through their difficult emotion than buck it up, you know, mm-hmm. it's okay, um, where they're trying to shove it down. To be able to be not alone with someone else in that pain will help them work through that. That's really good advice. And as children, they parents should be the first place they go to look for that person to sit with them. You hope that. I mean, it's not always the case, but of course, that's, sure. I think our parents, I have a 12-year-old and I'm not her first person right now. I used to be. Yes. Um, but um, we hope that. And all we can do is be available. So I try to be available while we're driving and ask questions and be open-ended and be available at the dinner table and come into her room at night before she goes to bed and, and give opportunities. And then if they give you information to be able to I feel like it's such a tightrope as, as a mom of like, don't say too much, don't say too little because right. you want to keep keep the door open, but to be a safe place so they know that that's not going to be shared with someone else, that you um, aren't minimizing their emotion, you're validating their pain and their suffering of whatever it is that they are going through. And you hit a really good point about the preteen teens pulling away from parents, not wanting to, or appearing as though they don't want to share with their parents. Yeah. What do you do in that situation? Like when our son Will was struggling, Hmm. he didn't tell us. He emailed his school counselor. Hmm. So with our daughter, we got her a counselor. Like she started pulling away from both Jason and I. And we, I always have told my clients, like I've told my, all of my kids, whenever you need a counselor, just let us know. Like I'm all for that. I know I'm not a perfect parent. I'm going to make mistakes too. And so we asked her if she wanted that. And she said, yes. Um, awesome. So yeah, all for counseling. <laughs> yes. Even for my own kids. I know that I've benefited personally from it um, growing up. And uh, so I think doing that, you know, trying to be available and um, I think also making fun in your family. So doing things, not just always focusing on the focusing on the problem with with your child is struggling, but also trying to do things that uh, is in their world that creates fun. So we started going rock climbing mm. and she really likes that. And um, we found some art classes that we could do together instead of just her going to an art class because she's into that. So finding activities that you know they like and hopefully besides movies and TV, again, because right. those aren't right. fostering connection as much. Right. Um, uh, on occasion, of course, is great. That can foster more bonding where they feel more safe uh, and enjoy meaningful um, activities with you. That's really good because there are sometimes things that maybe our children enjoy that 
really aren't our favorite things. Right. But I think it's important to find something. Um, my husband, who's a therapist also, we've talked about how it's important for each of us with each of our kids to find something we like to do with them. So Jason does these science Kiwi kits with Nora. I don't like that. Yeah. And 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 he he will do the Lego building step by step mm-hmm. Legos with my boys. That is not my thing at all. But I know I could play playmates with Chandler, or I could do soccer with him. Um, those mm-hmm. things I enjoy. So finding something you like is also huge <laughs> with your child, um, so that they could tell if you're enjoying it or not. Sure. And it's going to be easier to put off doing or not do if it's something that you're like, oh, I hate rock climbing, but <laughs> right. here we go. You know, right. Do it. Right. Okay. That's really good. Let's talk a little bit about kind of shifting gears about what you do in your practice, how you guys kind of specialize in anxiety. Mm-hmm. Would you address that for me, please? Yeah. So, um, We started the anxiety program at Renew uh, in 2017. My program started with a, it's it's an IOP, which stands for Intensive Outpatient Program. So for someone who has anxiety, that once a week counseling is not enough, or they just want to have a boot camp. They just want to learn a bunch of skills at once instead of going for several years to learn the tools. Um, Our program does that. So it's uh, three hours a day in group, which I love. We get better so much faster in community than it being an island. Um, and it's 18 sessions. It's over a six-week period of time. And then my husband joined me a year later in 2018, and he started an, ad- an adolescent IOP program. So his is his includes um, anxiety and also school refusal. He's mm-hmm. had, he works with lots and lots of schools, and they're thankful you know, for it. They're okay with their, their kids' schedules getting modified so they could get this help so they can go to school and can be with their friends and have um, skills to work with for anxiety. So our programs and his program is for five weeks. It's four days a week for five weeks for 12 to 18 year olds, as long as they're still in high school. Um, and we've seen just huge reduction in symptoms. Um, mm. Parents who say they feel like they've gotten their kids back after going through the program. Wow. Um, and I like it because it's very hands-on, tools-based. We're not talking and processing the whole time. We want people to learn tools each day when they're in the program, but then they also get to create homework assignments to practice those tools outside of the program. So I love it. I have a lot of fun. That's excellent. And it's interesting that you talk about school refusal because I have – interviewed at least two parents Hmm. with children with fairly debilitating anxiety and school was a huge issue. Hmm. And just a few years ago, actually, one of them got a truancy letter and she went, she was like, you don't understand. This is like the part of the problem, the the school. Hmm. So I do feel like in a short amount of time, we've come a long way. It's really good to hear that schools are more interested in working together. Yeah, our schools have been great. We we get releases with their their counselors and their counselors like, what can we do to get them there? They're really Good. supportive. Um, I do think with this crisis, at least the schools in Kansas City have really increased their awareness of the need for mental health um, resources, even in their schools. And they're really sure. trying hard to provide that. For sure. I I understand that a lot of the school districts have a social worker yes. now on, on their yeah, which campus. which is new in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the organizations who help fund that. And I think that oh. that's wonderful because the school counselors already are overloaded. And then you toss the mental health crisis mm-hmm. on top of that. And what are they to do? Right. 
So how long is the wait list to get into either of your IOP programs? Our program, it depends. Right now it's a month. Um, that's usually pretty good. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, yeah, sometimes they could get up. We try to, if we if our wait list gets too long, then we'll, we have the ability to double the program to try to get people in and not have to wait longer. Our goal is we hope to not have to make have people wait longer than six to seven weeks. Sure. It's a month right now. Jason's program right now, um, they have two groups going, so they have more openings, so they could get people in within a week or two. Wow. Yeah. So that means he's working a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a good team, too. Okay. All yeah. right. So that's not just him. He's no. got other other therapists or counselors yes. involved, too. Yeah. Okay. And his program has a heavy involvement with parents. Okay. So parents come every week for an hour and a half to learn what their kids are learning. They have practices that if they practice them at home, we give them gift cards that they have shared that information with their parents to try to help incentivize them. And then there's a parent orientation as well to really help parents know how to help their kids. That is really great because I will tell you, Will went to an IOP program here in town in Kansas City, and it was wonderful for him. Mm. And he credits a lot of his journey to wellness with IOP along with his personal counseling. Oh, that's great to hear. But there was not a parent piece to it, and that would have been really helpful. Yes. I think that's key. We as counselors, our job is to work our way out of a job. Yes. So we want to equip the parents to help their kids and um, help heal that relationship and build connection, whatever age the child is. Let's talk about that, what you just said. Help heal the relationship between parent and child. Yeah, I guess I'm more referring to uh, what causes them to not feel like they could talk about their struggles, mm-hmm. or maybe parents have given bad advice trying to help. So heal the relationship in the in regards to they could talk about hard things and work through them. Mm-hmm. Parents have the resources and know how to respond in a way that's really effective to meet their child's needs, whatever age that child is. That is great, because you're right. When Well, I can only speak for our situation, but when Will hit his crisis point, we we were completely shocked. We had no idea. And so then we had to learn, like you said, what did we miss? What were we not doing well in communication? Um, And it took us a long time because we did it the individual therapy way. But I will say, I believe we're there. And I feel like because of that experience, there's not much that he doesn't feel like he can bring to us at this point. And it shows how much healing you've done in your relationship that he's supporting you in doing this and mm. does the editing and you're doing this as a team to help yes. others. That's huge. I want to hear a little bit more about your adult anxiety program because there we have listeners in all walks of life. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah, hear about that. Our program starts with like we have lots of college students in it, you know, so it starts as when someone's hitting college up through the oldest person in our program is 68 years old. And okay. I'm so grateful that they yes. are choosing to be vulnerable and work on this. Um, so I love it. Everyone there wants to be there wants to work on their anxiety. And uh, so we have four different treatment modalities we focus on. One is mindfulness. So the definition of mindfulness that we use is being learning, learning to be in the here and now, in the present moment, on purpose, with curiosity. Mm. We often um, 
we'll judge our thoughts, judge what we should be doing, you know, we should on ourselves, I, I call it, versus um, being, being able to hold our thoughts loosely, be able to be in the present moment and enjoy it. Um, so we do work every day on mindfulness. We encourage people to download a mindfulness, mindfulness app. Um, you could do any app. Calm is a good one. Headspace, Balance, but there are dozens of them. And start practicing mindfulness a couple times a day. There, mindfulness is the only time we can be in the present moment. If we're anxious, we're worrying about the future, mm-hmm. different things. We're depressed. We're in the past. We can control right now this moment. So the more we could train our brains to be mindful again versus lost on scrolling on our phones yes. at the stoplight or whatever, that is going to help reduce your mental illness, help reduce anxiety. So we do um, mindfulness is one part. Another part is acceptance commitment therapy for the adult program. And that has all this empirical evidence to prove reduction of um, anxiety symptoms. A lot of people have heard of cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was my, for the first 15 years of my career, that's what I did. Um, What I like about acceptance is it's helping you to recognize you're going to have difficult feelings. There's going to be suffering in your life. Expect it. Like that's part of mm-hmm. being, being human. But how can you still have a life meaningful going towards your values in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your anxiety? So instead of trying to eliminate difficult emotions, which is more CBT, it's how to work through them, accept them so they don't, uh, so you're not controlled by them mm. and move towards your values. Um, so I really, really love acceptance commitment therapy. And then we use ERP, exposure response prevention. So we're actually, people come in and they have a list of what things cause the most anxiety for them. Okay. And then our goal is by the end of the program, they have worked through that list and they've done those things. So mm. going to the grocery store, um, going to a restaurant or calling a person, um, eating a certain different food. I mean, everyone's different, but we want them to use the tools we're teaching them to then go to the restaurant, call a friend, go to a concert, you know, whatever their thing that causes anxiety. Most people, when they have anxiety, their coping mechanism is avoidance. So I just want to go to restaurants. I just won't go out with a friend. I just won't call. I won't go to school, whatever it is. So to learn how to, instead of avoid, engage, they need tools. And we're teaching them these tools. We want them to practice them while in the program Mm -hmm. so they can see what worked, what didn't work. It's not one size fits all. So they can leave confident they have the skills to live the life they want to live. That is great. What would you say, I've got a couple of questions that popped up as you were talking. What would you say about these things and anxiety? And since this is a, a podcast, the listeners can't see what I'm doing, but yes. I'm holding up my iPhone. What has this done to increase anxiety? Yeah, I've actually read that they have found a link to when cell phones came out and increase of mental illness. Mm-hmm. I think it was like a 7%. It was yep. a it was significant. I can't remember, but I was just shocked. Like, like oh, that, and we got to talk, my husband and I, at our um, church to youth about anxiety. And we mentioned that to them, that that to watch and be aware of how much you're on your phone. Screen sanity. I yes. love the program that they do with helping people make wise decisions regarding phones instead of being caught up and lost. And even last night in, in the... I led the anxiety group last night and one of the women in there struggles sleeping and she said, I probably need to stop scrolling before bed. 
And I think that's what so many of us do. And she's like, maybe I should try to read a book. And that's a great idea because screens also, if you struggle at night sleeping, does the the Blu-ray. And that yes. Blu-ray, you need to have no Blu-ray for an hour before, before going to bed for melaton- melatonin to produce to help you get into that tired state. That is great advice because I know I'm very guilty of scrolling before I try to go to sleep. And I'm like, why do I sleep very well? <laughs> I thought it was just being menopausal. But- <laughs> Maybe it's the dang phone. And I have an episode with uh, Tracy Foster from Screen Sanity. So she has been on the podcast. She's wonderful. And uh, just another plug for Screen Sanity because they've done all this research and show the correlations between these devices and mental health and what our kids are dealing with. And so... If you have not listened to that episode, listeners, uh, go back in season two, Screen Sanity with Tracy Foster. It's it's one of those kind of must-hears in yes. my personal opinion. And they have great resources to help Wonderful you. Wonderful resources. And the, yeah, it's all on their website. Another question that popped up as you were talking a little bit earlier is the different types of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Would you define for us what is generalized anxiety disorder, a panic disorder? Everybody feels anxious mm-hmm. sometimes. How do we distinguish between, you know, anxiety over a situation that you know, will go away, a situational type of thing, versus what is a, a disorder? Yeah. So if you want the clinical definition, look up DSM-5 and then type in anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and you could find the actual word line by line. Um, I like to know, you know, do I have a diagnosis or not? So DSM-5 is is where all the diagnosis come from. So generalized anxiety disorder is is feeling generally anxious to the point that it's affecting your day-to-day life. Um, and it has to do that for longer than a month to have okay. that criteria of generalizing anxiety disorder. It could have multiple things. It could be shaking. It could be worry thoughts. could be feeling sick to your stomach. It could be um, multiple different subcategories, um, which looks different for each person. Um, but in general, generalized anxiety disorder is what most people have and um, who have anxiety disorders because it's more more generic catch-all. But you are not able to go to school. You're not able to do the things they used to do to let, have a quality of life with that. Panic disorder is having panic attacks. So some people get confused between a panic attack and an anxiety attack. A panic attack comes out of nowhere. So suddenly some people wake up in the middle of the night with a panic attack Mm. and they think they're having a heart attack. It feels like a heart attack. So suddenly your heart's pounding, you're hyperventilating, your hands are shaking, you're sweating. Um, I've had a panic attack in my life when uh, we do not have any cats in our home and a cat got in our home and it was 12 o'clock at night and I was going to the bathroom and suddenly these glow-in-the-dark eyes were looking up at me. Oh my! And I immediately just, I couldn't breathe. I was hyperventilating. I had to bend down. I couldn't catch my breath. I was like, I was having a panic attack. Um, so it came out of nowhere and wow. it, it's real, real, real sudden. And it's not, and I, you know, that's one example, but a lot of times you're not even seeing something and you sure. have, a, have a panic panic attack. You have no idea why it came. And it's a built up anxiety over time. And then it comes out through that. So a lot of people um, go to the ER for that because they mm-hmm. really think they're having a heart attack or something's wrong. That's how similar the symptoms are. 
presents an anxiety attack, which is not in the DSM-5. So that's not a clinical mental health diagnosis. But an anxiety attack is when you are going to have a big meeting at work and you're feeling intense anxiety and you're sweating and you're stressed and it lasts for hours or it could last for days, all these different symptoms. And you feel like it's an anxiety. It's absolutely anxiety attack. It's way heightened. Mm. It's affecting your day, um, but it's not sudden out of nowhere. Uh, a panic attack usually lasts uh, five to 20 minutes. Okay. Usually is the average. Versus an anxiety attack, which is could be days, weeks, Correct. months. Okay. Well, uh, probably more days, not weeks, months. Because that would get out of control and you right. would end up going to the emergency room or what, well, what you, do you yeah, think? You, well, your body just couldn't tolerate those symptoms for okay. weeks, months. That would be heightened anxiety for sure. The fight or flight. Yes. Uh, social anxiety, I would, I would say, and I see that a lot with adolescents, and we do with adults too. So when we have an adult who comes in who has social anxiety, they're not talking to their neighbor on their right or left. Mm. They're not initiating any conversation. They are looking down. They are not making eye contact. They're very polite. They will answer when you ask them a question. They're not going to expand on the questions. So what we do is we offer them the opportunity to do speeches. So we start with a 15-second speech. We build up 15 seconds every time they are there, and we throw out three random topics that they can't prepare for. Mm. So um, last night was, what do you listen to? One of the gentlemen was, what do you listen to on your drive from KU to us? Uh, that was one of his things. Favorite thing to do over um, the holidays and uh, your dream vacation. That was his three topics, and he got to choose a topic, and he talked for one minute about it. So that's great because it challenges your anxiety, and then we always ask, what did you do well? What do you want to work on? So usually they want to work on eye contact, um, engaging, and it's amazing by doing that, which is huge for social anxiety, helps them see, oh, my gosh, these people aren't judging me. Mm -hmm. They don't think I'm a horrible person. They're on my team. So it could really help decrease those intense fears of what people are thinking of you. And you said a lot of adolescents are experiencing social anxiety mm -hmm. right now. Yeah, I think that definitely contributes to the school refusal sure. as well. So, yeah, not having – I mean, we are – usually adolescence is the time to really connect with friends. Mm -hmm. You're starting to separate from your parents, developing more of your own identity. So these kids, like, they're lost. They're, they're not feeling as connected to their parents because they're going through puberty and all these hormones are going and they don't have any prefrontal cortex because right. that's the last thing to develop. That takes till 25 or 30 and that's helping regulate emotions, which is not there. And then they, they're not feeling um, worthy or they're not confident of themselves enough to feel like they could have friends or that friends would get them. And I think a huge lie everyone believes, I see that in adults and adolescents, is that they're all alone and no mm. one else feels the way they are feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that you even magnified more with with the social anxiety piece. Is there ever a time that someone with any of the anxiety issues would need to seek emergency room care? I know we talked mm -hmm. about that it can mimic a heart attack mm -hmm. or you feel like you're having a heart attack. But is there any time that's necessary? It is not. I mean, a panic attack, you would, um, even if you feel like you're going to pass out, which a lot of you do, if you pass out, you then come back too because your heart rate calms down and all the mm. symptoms calm, calm down. So there's no medical concern in regards to those things with anxiety. It's good if you have anxiety for a certain period of time to know, do you have hypertension? Do you have other things? Of course, that's good to look at. Sure. But that usually wouldn't require an emergency, emergency room visit. 
Do people who struggle with anxiety, are they often ideating suicide? Does Mm. that go hand in hand? Yeah. So 86% of people with a diagnosable anxiety disorder have depression as well. So yes, it absolutely goes together where a lot of them are feeling, and we've worked with so many, so hopeless that their anxiety is so out of control that life's never going to get better, that um, the thought of suicide is is something that goes through their, through their mind. And suicidal ideation, or if you're concerned about someone who you might think is considering suicide, you should call 988 immediately. Absolutely. I love that fast resource that's available oh, for everyone now. I think I say it on every episode. Oh, I, actually, I know I do so because it, it just, we've got to get it out there. Absolutely. So that's interesting. I've never heard that statistic that you said 87? 86%. 86%. Uh-huh. Wow. Why do you think that is? Hmm. That's a good question. I think with anxiety, like I, I had a eating disorder and an anxiety disorder and depression. Um, all those things, they started around age 13 and went through until I was around 21. I started getting help when I was 18 years old. So mine, I'll just talk personally with that. You know, mine started with depression. I really felt alone. Um, started thinking about suicide. I thought about it for nine months, had a plan. And I was going to take action before we moved from one state to another state because I didn't feel like I'd have any purpose or meaning or friends or significance once we moved. And my parents learned of, learned of it, um, so they they got me help. Um, unfortunately, their help was someone that we knew. To, I knew their kid, and um, and that person told me she couldn't keep things confidential, <laughs> and she oh. had a tape recorder in front of her. And so my goal, and I'm a, I, I was, I'm a recovering perfectionist. So <laughs> my goal was to um, convince her that what I did was a mistake. I would never do it again. And um, I was so ashamed that my parents, you know, my can of worms was open, and my parents learned that I wasn't their perfect daughter, which then fed me into uh, eating disorder. And and what I learned from the suicide attempt is like, you know, I, I honestly didn't think anyone would care if, if I was on Earth or not. Mm-hmm. I really didn't think that. And so I remember thinking, I need to share my feelings, and then I won't feel like this. I didn't know how to share. I had no idea. I didn't have any tools. So hence the eating disorder became my next coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. When I felt sad, hurt, ashamed, um, lonely, I would take it out on on food, um, whether it was restricting or binging or purging, depending on where I was in along that journey. And then I um, also, um, as the eating sort of progressed, I, my anxiety got worse and I developed trichotillomania. So I ripped out my hair. I had significant bald spots um, behind my ears and I couldn't put my hair in a ponytail um, because that was how I was trying to deal mm-hmm. with that constant anxiety that was going on. So I think, I don't know what is first for people, if it's the chicken or the egg, mm-hmm. but I, I do think anxiety feeds into depression of feeling so anxious that you start feeling hopeless that things are going to get better or feeling depressed and anxious and withdrawing and then feeling anxious regarding starting to do different activities. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's know, good. Yeah. I'm not sure which one comes first. And thank you for sharing your personal story. It, it helps us understand why you probably got into the work that you do now. It, yes. I, I feel very honored for people to come with their, just their deepest 
I'm going to cry. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, mm. we are not meant to suffer alone. Mm-mm. And so I feel very honored to do what I get to do. And I bet you're really good at it because you are so empathetic. Oh, you're very kind. I, I am honored for people to share their darkness and stories. And I feel like I get to, I get to, I see all this hope. I see, yeah. see all this potential to so yeah. help them see that is, is very rewarding. As parents, one of the things that I have continued to hear from other parents is I didn't know what to do and I didn't know who to call hmm. when a child has a mental health crisis, mm-hmm. whatever is involved with that. So I always ask the professionals and experts, tell me what to tell parents. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I would say um, your school counselor is a great resource because you're probably not the only person who's had a child struggling with anxiety. So asking them what resources they know, um, that that would be a great place to start. Um, Depending on finances, if finances are an issue, uh, if you look up and find out what schools in your community have master's in counseling programs, a lot of them have uh, discounted interns there that you could see at discounted rate who are supervised by licensed therapists. So that's a great resource to go to. Um, any community mental health, you know, Johnson County Mental Health or whatever, that's a good resource. And then Psychology Today has a great list of therapists where you could hone in and say teenager you could say your insurance, you could say anxiety, you could be very specific to find out um, options in your community. I'm glad you brought up the financial piece because I talk about that on a lot of episodes. That is a barrier for so many people and understandably so because a lot of insurances either don't cover or only cover 25% or only cover you know, these small number of therapists and, oh, by the way, they're all full. Right. Yeah. The amount of full therapists has, I've never seen anything like that since COVID. Um, Usually people would have openings, but now it's harder and harder, especially if you're trying to go through your insurance. So that is, that is very valid. Um, We are constantly at Renew. We have interns, so we try to offer reduced rates through interns. We have six in our program, six at our site right now. Um, but that is really, really valid. And we do our IOP programs. We take most insurance. We take Blue Cross, Aetna, Cigna, um, UBH, and Humana because we're trying to help it to not yes. be a barrier um, and recognize that it is a cost to get healing. Sure. And that's great that you take all those different insurances. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. Because uh, that is a huge barrier for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe that's a podcast down the road where I get somebody in from one of those insurance companies. Or yeah. <laughs> I wonder how quickly they would be willing to say yes to that. I don't know. Blue Cross, Blue Cross Blue Shield about a year ago opened up for new um, providers for the first time in 20 years since I've been here. They did. Yeah. Saying, yeah. meaning, okay, providers come to us and... That they weren't allowing any more providers in their system. They were constantly saying they were full, and now you can you can go. And they also finally raised their price. Their reimbursement price yes. was so low, no one would do it, but yes. they raised their price about a year ago to make it so that providers can get paid, you know, what, yes. is, what is fair market value. 
and I think that's another piece of it that a lot of folks don't understand is one of the reasons why so many therapists or counselors don't take insurance is because the reimbursement rate, what the insurance company will pay, is not enough to even break even. Right. Right. Yeah, I think some people think therapists like make a lot of money, but we don't have benefits. <laughs> right. And so we're having to pay for, you know, all, all of our benefits also out of that. And we also can't see 40 clients a week. No. Like that's that would be usually, you know, 20, 26 clients a week, you know, would, would be the max that you could handle. So we are actually, you know, very, we're not <laughs> loaded with, with the income. No, no, not at all. So I'm glad to hear that some insurance companies are moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's still a ways to go, but that's good news. Yes, it is. And I want to celebrate that. <laughs> good for you. Share so the hope positive. there. Yes. <laughs> what have I not asked you that you would like to share? Make sure people know. Hmm. I think, like, if you have a child with anxiety, my son Grayson he, at the age of two, we saw anxiety in him. Um, does he have the full diagnosis? No, but he has symptoms. He would see a piece of dirt in the bathtub and freak out thinking it was a bug and, and wouldn't get in the bathtub or try to get out. And that would happen every single time, you know, in, in the bath. And now he's seven. And if we go to a gas station, we're on a road trip, we'll let the kids all buy something at the gas station in the candy row. And he's overwhelmed by the options. He'll break down crying and he literally cannot make a decision because he's so overwhelmed. Um, so to know, like if you have a, a child that has anxiety with those things, helping them, a very simple tool you could do with them is teaching them a breathing technique. So I love conscious uh, discipline, which schools around here do. They they teach the star, the balloon, yes. the kitchen sink, and the pretzel. Yeah. So those are great simple things. Just to have them do that five times, to do it with them to help calm them calm them down. Another thing to know with kids is like some of them, like we've adopted a couple of kids after out of foster care. They babies learn to regulate their emotions from their parents by being held. So their heartbeat will match your heartbeat. You are their co-regulator. So if you have a child anxious, you, you know, holding them, um, your heartbeat will help calm their heartbeat. Your breathing will help them with their breathing. So even little things like that can really help with the anxious child. That's a good place um, to start. Um, so I think that's something that uh, can be helpful to know. I love what you said about the breathing thing, that what she's talking about for the listeners who might not know what that is. Will actually taught me that because he (gasps) learned it either in therapy or IOP. But like making that shape on, is that what you're talking about? Like making the shape of a star as you're breathing on your leg? That's a different one. Oh, okay. That's what I was thinking. There are lots of different breathing techniques. So tell us about that one. So he said you can sit, you know, nobody even knows that you're doing it. But if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed about something, then you just do the deep breathing and make a square on your on your upper thigh, you know, where nobody can see with your finger. And every time you draw one of the lines, you... And that helps regulate your breathing back to normal. And deep breathing, oh my gosh, it's so powerful to really 
bring you back, yes. I think. Yeah. And there's all this research to show it helps with digestion. It decreases fight, flight, and freeze. It regulates your blood pressure. It does all these different benefits. So it's amazing how that can calm you back out mm-hmm. of that fight, flight, and freeze um, by practicing deep breathing. For adults, and I wonder if this is it, there's something called four square breathing. Okay. Maybe that's it. Um, yes. And that you, you, you trace a square yeah. and you can do it on your leg or you can yeah. look at it on the wall or in your mind and you breathe in for the count of four, hold for the count of four, breathe out for the count of four, hold for the count of four, and you do it four to eight times. And it is, it absolutely, you'll be in a different state of mind. There it anyway, is. Even if you don't have anxiety See, by right. doing that. Because I don't think I have anxiety, but every once in a while, right, everyone feels anxious or yes. nervous or overwhelmed. And yeah. it, it's a great technique to just bring it back down. Yes. So... Yeah. How about that? And I learned that from my son. So oh, That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Will. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Anything else that you want to mention? No, I think um, I just hope you get the help that you need if you're struggling with anxiety or if your child is because there's definitely resources out there. And um, I appreciate your your uh, the people who are listening to your podcast wanting to learn and grow. That says a lot about who they are, that they're listening to this and wanting to learn from this. And thank you for just providing us with a little more information on anxiety and the different types of anxiety and what you do to to give hope to people who are really struggling. Hmm. Because that's the whole point of this podcast is for people to know that they're not alone and that there is hope. And that's exactly what you're doing. Well, thank you. So, Corey, I really appreciate you being on this episode of the Just a Mom podcast. Thank you. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Once you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain and them clouds that keep covering up the sun. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.